Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, live on 670 The Score and on the Odyssey app, it's Anthony Heron, former NFL defensive lineman and Iowa Hawkeye, football analyst for 670 The Score, Fox Sports, Sirius XM, Big Ten Network, and NBC Sports. Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. For the better part of the next three hours, I am your voice. This is Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio. 670 The Score. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios. Brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Gonna open up the phone lines a bit later in the show. That listener line, score listener line powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. A great lineup of guests on the show. We will run that down for you in a moment here. Guests, join us on the score hotline presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And looking forward to your interaction throughout the evening here. So you can do that with the phone line, or in the tech zone, which is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. I am, uh, of course, on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. That's where you can reach me. And like I said, we got some outstanding guests on the show that would be joining us throughout the evening here. Lamont Pope of the Tribune. He will be with me in a bit to talk about the White Sox, who went down again today. So there will be a... Yet another series that goes by without the White Sox coming out on top of that. You just heard the close of Cubs post game. Cubs get another series win. They're just claiming series wins left and right on the north side. I believe that is their fourth series win in a row for the Cubs. Five and one on their West Coast swing. So a more than strong start for the Cubbies making that happen. You heard that game right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 score. You heard Gabriel, my guy Gabe Ramirez, on the pre and post in covering that Cubs game as well. He just finished up post game here on the score. But to talk some Cubs, Evan Altman will be with me later on in the show to run down everything that's going on with the Cubbies. He is, of course, of Cubs Insider. And then later on in the show, because we're going to talk some Bears here early, and we're going to talk some NFL drafts, some Bears, and really some league-wide storylines as well. We'll do that later on in the show with a good friend of mine, Corey Chavis of DraftNastyMagazine.com. We'll get Corey on the show a little bit later, talk to him about a variety of different topics. And I look forward to talking to you as well, because this is, frankly, the first time I've really gotten to talk to, to you, to the Chicago score listener in a minute, man. It's, it's been a while since I've been on here. I've been, been out and about, been on the road, been in the air. Uh, I was on with uh, with. Lawrence and Layla, was it yesterday, the day before, yesterday? Um, so I was in with them on the, the Bernstein at Home show, and uh, Layla has, of course, been in there 
with Lawrence as of late. I think it was yesterday I was in with them. So I got to talk to them for a little while. Didn't necessarily get to talk to you because I was gone for basically the bulk of the month. The first half of April, me and my family, we skedaddled for a little while. We were out of here, went on a, a nice little vacation. We were gone for a minute, had a just a grand old time. And uh, then we returned home to Chicago, and I, I got I got right back to work, Jack. I mean, like, I, as soon as we landed, I, I did not go to sleep. I immediately either got in front of the computer or got into a, a radio booth or on a TV set or all of the above and been, been getting it in, man. You know, you, you take a big expensive vacation, got to make that money. So <laughs> been, uh, that's, been, that's been my game here since I've been back in town. Had the Michigan State. Um, so they didn't even call it a spring game because there wasn't a game that was played, but they called it their, their Spartan football kickoff, which was essentially their version of their open spring session that they did in East Lansing last weekend. And so I called that for the Big Ten Network. There was some 11-on-11 that eventually took place there. Uh, a lot of you Naperville North types, uh, you Naperville crowd, know that Michigan State's quarterback, Peyton Thorne, Naperville kid, and actually Jaden Reed, who some folks are mocking to the Bears on day two of the NFL draft. A couple of Naperville high school football products who have played their college ball at Michigan State. Jaden Reed on his way to the National Football League. We'll see whether or not, you know, maybe when I talk to Corey Chavis later on in the show, maybe Jaden Reed will be the type of guy that he's interested in and maybe thinks it would make sense for the Bears. But, um, Peyton Thorne returns for his fifth year at Michigan State, third year as a starter. But they got a backup named Noah Kim, who I think is giving Peyton Thorne quite a run for his money. I was talking about that a little bit in studio last week on the Big Ten Network because I got my first opportunity for the Big Ten Network to host in studio as opposed to being the analyst in studio. And, you know, a lot of folks aren't completely clear, understandably so, aren't completely clear what the the difference is between the two roles, but it's basically you just slide one chair over, but you're more, you know, directing traffic and, you know, managing a lot of the, the sponsored elements and, and the important things, the, the facts more than the opinions, more than the analysis when you're the host, when you're the one, you know, from a television perspective kind of driving the show. So I did that. I've done it before in the past. did it for the first time last week on the Big Ten Network in studio. I'll do it again actually tomorrow on Big Ten today so you can check me out. On there, I'll be uh, sitting in for Dave Refson normally hosts the show Big Ten Today on the Big Ten Network. Rick Pizzo does it usually this time of year, and I'll be on there tomorrow with a couple of different really expert analysts. Oh, my guy Jake Butt will be with me talking some spring football for what comes up this weekend, and also Sammy Netling, a former Northwestern softball player, Jake Butt of Michigan football fame, and Sammy Netling, of a Northwestern softball fame. They'll be with me in studio talking about a few different things tomorrow. So you can check me out there at 11, and then it gets, usually gets replayed throughout the day. But I'll be on the Big Ten Network tomorrow on Big Ten Today. And then this weekend, I was talking to, uh, to Lawrence and Layla about it a little bit. I'm going to go to Birmingham, and on Saturday, I'll be calling a USFL game, which is going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. It's the second season of the USFL. Um, and, you know, got the XFL season is still going right now. So they're on the, the ESPN family of networks. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, his wife, or ex-wife, excuse me, ex-wife, <laughs> Danny Garcia. They uh, you know, work together to start up, to, to rebirth the XFL. And seemingly things have been going pretty well for the XFL. Things have been going well for the USFL in year two. 
very early in year two also. So the game I'm doing will be on USA Network on Saturday at 11.30 a.m. Central Time, 12.30 Eastern. So you can check me out on USA on Saturday calling the USFL game. So that's where I'll be at this weekend. And we got a lot of NFL draft coverage that's coming up next week on the score. Um, I, I presume – I haven't been around very much, but I, I presume there's been some, some announcement that, that's been out there. If there hadn't, uh, I presume I'm allowed to say that on Monday night I'm going to be on this station with Patrick Manley and Dave Weinstead. And we're going to be talking about the Bears draft. We will be previewing everything under the sun related to our expectations for what the Chicago Bears, what your Bears will be doing when the NFL draft begins. That will be one week from tomorrow night. That's when the NFL draft will begin. That's the first round next Thursday. Rounds two and three will be on Friday. And then rounds four through seven will be on Saturday. And now that the Bears have traded down from that number one spot, what are they going to do with the remainder of their picks? They have one pick at number nine in the first round, two picks in round number two, one pick in round number three, two picks in round four, two picks in round five, nothing right now in the sixth round, and then two picks in the seventh round to close things out. So potential for the Bears to add a lot of talent, a lot of competitive depth to their lineup, to their roster. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my very first time out. I'll come back in a few minutes. I want to give you my opinion on how, how I believe Ryan Poles, how I believe Kevin Warren. What do I think Matt Eberflus should see as his most dire needs, his most urgent desires for positions going into the draft? What is most important for the Bears to add to to enhance this roster when they get the opportunity to make their picks beginning next Thursday night. I'm going to take a time out, come back, and get into that. Power ranking my Bears draft needs right here. Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The School. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. How much better can you get on the defensive line between now and you know, yeah. get the players here in the spring? You, you've, yep. you've got Walker, and right. that's about it to a pretty thin unit. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, it's uh, right now. It's we get the sense of we gotta we gotta fix everything right now, and the opportunities are be limited. But I feel comfortable with between the rest of free agency. We're only two days into it, as well as in the draft that we can get that group as good as we possibly can. And at the same time, there are going to be some weak spots on our roster that we can't fix everything. But we are going to stay flexible to do the best we can to get better. And then again, if you go from a short-term thinking of we got to do everything right now, 
you extend that out and do things the right way, over time we'll be able to heal up all of those positions. Healing up all the positions. That is the task for Ryan Poles and the Chicago Bears. Trying to get it all figured out between now and then to determine what's going to make the most sense. Not only for night one, but a lot of folks, really myself included, would make the case that nights two and three will be even more important, more vital for the Chicago Bears in building this roster and enhancing their depth of talent. Because in the end, when you're trying to build a sustainable winner, you look into one position for how you do that best, yes, that is quarterback. But then beyond quarterback, what are you surrounding the quarterback with? How are you adding infrastructure, resources, talent, depth of talent to the remainder of the roster? That will be the task at hand to continue to improve that for the Chicago Bears, and it's obviously the, the chief job for Ryan Poles here over the course of the, the next week and a half. And it's interesting because there, there tends to be, I, I guess, some expectation at times that you know, people have, like there's some sort of finality that's already there at this point for teams structuring their, their draft board, making their decisions and determinations on how they're planning to handle things. And, you know, this this entire process between the regular season itself for college football, the regular season itself in the National Football League, and all the information, all the data that the scouting department, the staff that works under Ryan Poles has been collecting on players around the National Football League and free agency, on the current roster and evaluating where you feel like you need to get stronger, and then certainly the college prospects that you'll have the potential to add as well. And then you you shape your draft boards around all these different things. And you even factor in, especially now that you're through the initial waves of free agency, you, know, you also factor in what your cap situation is. Where do you feel like you need to utilize you know, veteran salary cap money to infuse talent into a position group versus where you feel like you'll have the opportunity to get additional help in the draft. You know, what, what essentially ends up being cheap labor, labor that you can use to enhance your roster via the draft. You're factoring all those different things to put this puzzle together, and then you get into draft weekend and you decide, what are we prioritizing when it's our time on the clock? And it's a very intricate process. It is a a process that can be overanalyzed, but frankly, it, it, it's almost impossible not to overanalyze it. Can you end up you know, it essentially paralyzing yourself with the, the depth of analysis you go into? Sure. But we've all been talking about Jalen Carter for weeks. You know why? Because it's a huge investment, and it's a huge risk, and it's a big position of need, not just in this game. I mean, of course, yes, the Bears run a 4-3 front where, where it's a, a one-gap penetrating style. So you want a three technique. Matt Eberflus goes to bed at night dreaming about a dominant three technique. Of course he does. But defensive tackles are important in teams all around the league. So it's not just a Bears thing. But, of course, we pay the most attention to it because our squad we pay most attention to is the Bears. But everybody wants defensive tackles. 32 teams in the National Football League want a dominant interior defensive lineman. It ain't just the Bears. So everybody 
who doesn't have one of those is having the Jalen Carter conversation as we speak. Now, the Bears were at number one. They were comfortable moving on from there. And then now everything that's ensued with Jalen Carter since that time now puts it into question a bit more because we knew the Bears weren't going to take him at number one. Frankly, we knew that before his his mediocre at best pro day. We knew that before, frankly, some of the additional information that came out about the car crash. It's just a defensive tackle at number one overall. He didn't necessarily suit that anyway, especially for where the Bears' whole roster is at. But now that the Bears are at number nine, it becomes even more interesting because it allows us to salivate. It potentially allows Ryan Poles to salivate a bit about the notion that maybe this player who felt like such a risk at number one overall, maybe, just maybe it'll feel more palatable at number nine. Perhaps Jalen Carter makes all the sense in the world if we're going to get him at the bottom of the top 10 as opposed to in that number one spot. And that, to me, is the key position group for the Bears. I know there's a lot of questions about a variety of spots, and as it relates to the offense and Justin Fields' support and playmakers, that a lot of folks would feel like other positions would be most key. But to me, even factoring in some of the personnel additions that have already been made, they went out, they got a, a block hitter in Andrew Billings. They got a penetrator in Demarcus Walker with a nice resume who's made some plays in his time in the National Football League. They got a player who's still kind of a young up-and-comer, you know, who's still he's certainly not in the infancy of his development, but Rasheen Green is 25 years old. He's 6'4", 280, a scheme-diverse player that came out of USC been in the league for a handful of years he's made some plays as well and it feels like there's still a lot of upside that's there for Rasheem Green so you go out and get him so they, they've added some talent they in my opinion have enhanced the talent of their defensive front but you ain't got like a a real a game record a, a player who the opponent has to game plan around someone who who shapes the schematics of the opponent and their offensive line you don't have one of those, and your, your group as a whole, like when, when Akeem Hicks first got signed here by Ryan Pace, however many years ago that was, we didn't know Akeem Hicks was going to become what he was for several seasons here with the Bears. So you're hoping that you're getting a player who's maybe entering his prime and you're perhaps in a position where you're going to get the best football from a Demarcus Walker or from a Rasheem Green. Now, for Andrew Billings, you're hoping he's going to hit blocks. You're not necessarily hoping Andrew Billings. I mean, you can hope against hope, but he doesn't profile as the type of guy that's suddenly going to start sacking the quarterback a whole lot. All those things being said, you need all the help you can get on what was the worst defensive line in football. Not only statistically, but just looking at the film, the Chicago Bears were the least effective defensive line in the National Football League last season. I'm stating it as though it's fact because, you know, it's not necessarily something. If you want to say they were the worst quarterback sacking defensive front in football, statistically, that is accurate because they sacked the opposing quarterback less than anybody else in the league. I would take it beyond that, though. 
They were the least effective. They were the worst defensive line in football as far as hitting blocks, as far as pressuring the opposing QB, as far as defeating offensive line. They have to get exponentially better than the production that they got last year. So even though you have added some talent, you need more. You need a lot more. So I would still say that the D-line is the number one priority at this point for the Chicago Bears heading into the draft. Now, number two is probably a position that a lot of you have at number one, the offensive line. Now, the reason I have the O-line in my personal power rankings at number two as opposed to number one couple of different reasons here one I believe there are guys on the offensive line that even though the majority of the group is essentially intact from last year and it was not an O-line last year that consistently graded out at a high level but you're still fairly young across the board up front just think about the position the Bears O-line was in and I'm going to make this case and the case is going to sound like I'm trying to tell you the Bears O-line was good last year I would say the Bears online was was okay last year. I think it became fine by the end of the season last year as players got a little bit longer in the tooth, got more reps in game, and as the scheme continued to assist and adjust what they needed to do. So I'm going to tell you the Bears had one of the better offensive lines in football. I certainly wouldn't go that far. But why I do feel like finishing last season and even as we sit here tonight, why the offensive line isn't quite in as dire straits as the defensive line is, a couple of things. One, schematically. Luke Getze ended up with the aid of Justin Fields' mobility, playmaking ability, diagnosis, play extension, the system that they run, the ability to run the football. He was able to display the way that in the NFL, you can cover up for, you, you can mask things for your offensive line in a way that it's very difficult to cover up a defensive front that gets physically overmatched by the opponent. I came on this station frequently last year, whether it was doing the the post-post show shortly after a Bears game had ended, or if it was in the mornings talking on Bears pregame with with Mully and and Manley. There were matchups where when the opponent just wanted to move the Bears D-line off the ball last year, They did it. There's a lot of different run schemes in football. But when somebody said, we're just going to put our cleats in the dirt and just move them backwards, the opponent was able to displace the line of scrimmage against the Bears on a consistent basis when they chose to do that. When it was, you know, let's get cute, let's out-scheme them, let's run around, the Bears could chase folks down and, and, you know, linebacker's position could cover a few things up. Bears' D-line wasn't good. But the opponent was able to dictate terms to them. An offensive line where you're breaking the huddle, knowing your play, knowing your scheme that you're going to run, you can dictate terms to the opponent. And schematically, you can do things even if, you know, like I I think back to facing the Indianapolis Colts in, in the early 2000s and Peyton Manning, even as a guy who certainly, he wouldn't be viewed today as a mobile quarterback. He wasn't viewed 20 years ago as a mobile quarterback. The Colts would do things varying tempos, varying the launch point, audibleizing at the line of scrimmage with the, the, the mastery of Peyton Manning. And they would do all these things to dictate terms to the opponent, to keep the opposing pass rush off balance. And schematically, even though Ryan Deem was probably a Northern Illinois product, Ryan Deem 
was probably the most physically gifted offensive lineman that they had up front. Just like mano a mano, one on one, who can who on the Colts offensive line back then could have just physically overmatched their opponent. They had a, an offensive tackle in Ryan Deem that was most capable of that. But individually, this wasn't like your your old school Dallas Cowboys offensive line with a bunch of Hall of Famers up front. Jeff Saturday may eventually make the Hall of Fame because he was an exceptional, you know, he's a very good center. But like, you know, he wasn't the athlete that Olin Krutz was, you know, in their playing careers comparably. Like just one-on-one grading one's film versus grading the other's film. Olin was a better center than Jeff Saturday. Jeff made multiple Pro Bowls and won, you know, Super Bowl and, and was a very good player for a long time in the league. But just as an individual talent, Jeff wasn't the best center in football. Jeff was in an exceptional system and mastered that system really, really well. So that, that's where, as a group offensive line, that's where I do have slightly less concern for the Bears offensive line versus the Bears defensive line and what can happen just from coaching and schematics to cover up for what may not be a group that across the board can physically overmatch you. And then, frankly, Braxton Jones, he's worthy of time to watch him develop. Tevin Jenkins, certainly worthy of time to watch him develop. They've spent money on Lucas Patrick to see what he can do as a center, and they haven't gotten to watch that yet. But the season before that in Green Bay, he did a nice job as a center blocking in front of Aaron Rodgers. There's a variety of players, and they've added Nate Davis to the group. The offensive line, I think, is at least in a representative position. Not in an overwhelming position, but compared to the the defensive line, the O-line is closer to a representative group talent-wise than where the Bears' D-line is. So that's why, in my opinion, I view the Bears' D-line as a bigger priority than the O-line because of where the personnel is in their development. And then also, just frankly, you can cover up for some personnel deficiencies. When you handle it well, the biggest complaint I had while Matt Nagy was calling plays and while, you know, John Filippo was over there on the coaching staff and everybody else who was over there for years until, until uh, this current staff led by Matt Eberflus came in. And I do think that a more effective job was done of that last season. And, and my thought is there's more potential for growth with the current personnel, even if it's we got to cover up for certain guys here by comparison to where the D-line is. I'll continue to run down my power rankings of the biggest needs that the Bears have going into the draft. I'll take some calls from you on that later on as well. But let me get to a timeout. Let's shift to some baseball conversation. We will begin our baseball convo on the south side of town, where there's a team that resides there that had high hopes, big expectations, still very early in the season, but they have yet to win a series. We're going to talk some White Sox on the other side of this break. We'll do that with Lamont Pope next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. 3-2. In the air, center field. Marsh has it squared up, and the Phillies come in here and win the series by the count of two games to one. All three games in the series, the Sox have scored in exactly one inning per game. Twice it was the first inning, and that only worked out well in the Giolito game, and then in the first game, they scored in the third inning. That's it. And usually when you only score in one inning, you don't win too many. And the Sox now have yet to win a series. Hopefully, that will turn around in Tampa or in Canada. Oh, Steve Stone. That's now courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. Our thanks to them for that 
And it's it's funny. One one of the things that makes Steve Stone so exceptional at what he does is, and you know, you, you got time in a baseball broadcast to stretch your legs a little bit and storytell on occasion. Certainly get into the analytics and the metrics, but not everyone weaves in you know multiple lanes in the way that Steve does so effectively, where he can get into the weeds and the minutia of of analytics. And, and techniques and schematics, but then also just have a moment like that where he kind of, you know, just kind of bears it down as, as simply as it can be put. You're only scoring one inning. You're not going to win a whole lot of games. And that, that's what makes his versatility, uh, especially at this point in his career, man. It, it's still a joy to listen to Steve Stone. And as he said, the White Sox still have yet to win a series during the regular season here. They are now 7-12 and 12 on the year. They are fourth in the AL Central a division that, you know, I would say from a, an ex- expectation perspective, an overall talent perspective, in a similar spot to where they were going into last year. A lot of folks presuming, all right, it's the most gifted roster and lineup in the division, so they should win it. And so far, not so good. I'm going to need some help breaking this one down, so let's go out to the score hotline, the guest line. Guests are joining us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And talk to my guy, Lamont Pope of the Chicago Tribune. You can find him on Twitter, at Lamont Pope. Lamont, what's happening, man? How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm a bit, uh, a bit bemused, a bit confused. I, I took a vacation. <laughs> I was gone for a couple of weeks as the season was uh, getting on the mound, getting first pitches out there initially. Gone for a couple of weeks. I come back, man. The White Sox doing exactly what they did last year. I don't know if this is a quantum leap situation or what, but is it overstated how eerily similar the start of this season has been to how things went last year? I mean, you know, join join us. Is, 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 we're all kind of sort of confused <laughs> as far as what's been going on so far. I mean, you know, there, there are some similarities. Obviously, the injuries popping on up already. You know, t- uh, Tim Anderson out, Yohan Moncada out, uh, Eli out for a little bit before coming on back, and he's still trying to get back in the groove a little bit. Um, so, so from that injury standpoint, pretty similar. Uh, you know, the the, the series against the, the thing that's been remarkable is just the different ways that they've been losing. Uh, the Minnesota series, it was uh, some some errors, some mental lapses from that standpoint. Uh, the the series against Baltimore they just they walked about you know they, they walked the world uh, 26 walks in that three game series uh, and then and then this one you know the, the bats sort of just dried up they, they would have one big inning um, and then and then just go silent the rest of the way right and in, in the game one of the double header they had six consecutive hits uh, in that one inning but then they only had two hits the rest of the game uh, and and then in the game they won uh, you know they, they needed uh, Lucas Giolito and company would be near, you know, nearly, nearly perfect, right, for for them to go ahead and win that one because the only offense that they got was the the home run from Jake Berger in the first, and then today the only home, the only runs that they got was a home run uh, from uh, from Andrew Vaughn, and so so like they found different ways to win, and so I guess that's a little bit of, of difference from difference from last season, um, and so that's that's been the puzzling thing. They, you know, they they pitched well at times, but then they. Uh, but then they make a couple of defensive mistakes. They they hit well at times, but then the the pitching doesn't show up. And then they they have a couple of games, like I say, when they they walk a ton of people as well. And so they they found different ways to to lose. And it's just a thing about trying to get everything all together all at once. And they just haven't been able to do that just yet. Lamont Rick Hahn seems to be trying to paint a, a fairly positive picture about yeah. 
not necessarily about the execution of things so far, but essentially that, you know, all all is not lost. The sky has not fallen as of yet on the south side. And I, I do understand that. Are there are there elements of how the season ha- has gone up to this point? Is there is there kind of a silver lining within the way the games have gone that, that you think, you know, maybe Rick Hahn is looking at something in particular to, to feel that things aren't quite as negative as maybe some folks on the outside would be painting it? Yeah, I mean, you're getting that sort of message from from a number of the, you know the players and from Pedro as well. But you know, one thing that Pedro said back in spring training, uh, you you can't lose, you know, you can't win a pennant in in April, but you can you know, but you can certainly lose one, right? And so, so you have to start taking kind of care of some, some of this business. You know, it, it's been interesting. One of the reasons that you know, take a look at the schedule. You know, we all take a look at the schedule in April or, or early once once it comes on out and says, well, this series is a good series. This series it's going to be a tough series. You know, that the, when I took a look at it, I was like, well, that series against San Francisco and that series against uh, Pittsburgh, those are going to be opportunities for this ball club to maybe kind of make some, uh, you know, make some hay. And then and then that series against the Twins, I think you take a look at it, and it's like the Twins didn't have Correa and they didn't have a gallo in it and buxton didn't play the opener and so if you're the Sox, you're thinking oh man that's an opportunity for them to win at least two out of three and if but the twins are like well you know at the same time you know there, there wasn't any mancada there wasn't uh you know tim obviously got hurt and so that was an opportunity for the twins to take two out of three um and you know the twins were able to, to make the plays and execute and, and whereas the Sox made you know made too many errors and in those, I mean, it wasn't a ton of errors, but it was just those really costly moments in, in those ball games that cost them that series as well. Um, as far as just sort of a silver lining early on, I mean, again, it, it, it's it's like, hey, you know, you, you've seen Lucas Gilito, right? I mean, he's he's been a positive over these last, I think, one run over his last twelve innings, and so so it, it's it's Lucas kind of getting back to the Lucas that everybody knows. Um, so that you know, and I think overall, it's like you, you'll see the pitching perform well for a little bit. But then the hitting won't, and then you won't, and then you'll see the hitting perform well for a little bit, and then the pitching won't. And so, so it's like there are elements that you like, but it's all about trying to put it all together. And so, when is that going to be the case? I mean, that, that kind of goes back to your first question about last season. Um, you know, the the issue is that we, we spent all last year just sort of saying, all right, this is the week that they're going to put it together. This is the week that they're going to put it up together, and it just never really happened. And so. Yeah, you know, that's 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 the thing that uh, Rick was also talking about. Is like I know there's a little bit of a prove it point, right? You know, you know, uh, it's one thing to say, hey, the, the talent is still here, but you got to go out and prove it. And so, that's what this ball club still has to do is to go on out and prove that they can be a consistently good baseball club. What would you say points to the the impact of Pedro Grifol, really positively or negatively? to this point in the season. I mean, it's still obviously super early, but is there anything through this first, you know, 19 games that you would say, okay, here's here's kind of the, the Pedro Griffol imprint on, on what we're seeing here? Um, you know, I, one thing that's different, I think, than this year is, like, it, it's noticeable. You know, a lot of people would always – I remember being asked multiple times, well, you know, uh, the effort that the, that the club is giving. And, and, and I do see that. On a day in and day, you know, the energy's there, the efforts there, um, and and I think that's sort of a reflection of of just how Pedro and his and his coaching staff ran things uh, during spring training, and I think that that's sort of been, you know, I think that's sort of been evident. Um, even even though even the games that haven't gone their way, uh, even you know, yesterday, I know Pedro mentioned that he liked the energy that the ball club was giving uh, coming off the off the tough loss in game one. You know, he liked that the you know the, the, there was a lot of buzz in that. 
uh, dugout leading on up to the game, and it sort of you know fed into the success they were able to have in that nightcap. And so, you know, I, I'm seeing it's 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 a club that um, has more energy. It's a club that is. Um, you know, is is sort of playing that all for one, one for all type of situation, but but again, you know, it all comes down to execution. Um, and and this is this is a club that you know they they stressed fundamentals during spring training, um, and you know you you're seeing some better base running, um, but but you're but again that Minnesota series was, was an example of where, um, you know those errors were just too costly, and so when you you have to kind of have it all come together. And and this ball club just isn't doing it right now. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that Jake Berger is their hottest bat right now? Oh, I think it's a good thing. I mean, here's someone who had a great. I remember we were talking uh, right at the end of of camp, and and you know one of the guys that we were talking about was was the way that Jake was able to play. It was, it was a tough sort of situation because he had he'd played, you know, he'd hit the ball so well uh, during all spring training, and it was just sort of a sense of well. Where is he going to play? Where can you play him? And and obviously with the injuries that have, that have crept on up, uh, you know, first with Eloy and that, that got him back up uh, to the big leagues, and then with Yoan being out, uh, you know, he's been able to, to shift on over to third base and 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 continue to be in the lineup from that perspective. And so, it, it's it's always positive when when someone is is you know providing the power. Obviously today, uh, Andrew hitting his first home run of the season, and so yeah, that's that's got to be a, a positive step. But you, you expect you know you, again Eloy coming off. Of the uh, IL just sort of getting back into the swing of things, and, and he's been scuffling a little bit. Uh, you, you know the power is going to be there for you. You know the power is going to be there for Vaughn. Um, and, and you know once you once you get Tim back, um, you know have him back at the top of the order. You can kind of you know you can move. Uh, Luis back down to the two spot. You can move uh, Benintendi back down to. You can do a little bit of shifting around and get back to the sort of lineup that you had envisioned uh, throughout spring. And so, so when guys can kind of get back to their natural uh, spot in the order, that might be a, be a little bit of a benefit as well. But uh, you know, I think I think the group overall is pressing a little bit. You know, there's, there's this little feeling of uh, guys just trying to do a little too much, kind of expanding the strike zone. I know the, the other night they had I think 13, 13 punched outs, and so. Um, it's a situation of, you know, hey, you know, just get back to being who you are at the plate. And once some of these other guys get back uh, from their injuries, obviously Johan had, had got to such a strong start uh, before uh, the back kind of creeped on up again. And then he you know, had that little, he had a really bad uh, series before going on the IL. And, and part of that was the back issue. And so, so if it, if Johan can get on back and be like he was during the, that first uh you know, that first series be like he was during the WBC. That's another lift that the offense can get. Um, and so there, there are elements um, to it uh, that you're kind of waiting and seeing. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think the fact that when all those guys do come back, it becomes a, a situation again is, well, what do you do with Berger? <laughs> Berger because you, you can't really, you, you can't really DH him because you're going to have to play um, Eloy out at, at DH because, you know, obviously with Colas in right field, I um, mean, you can't play him at third base with Yuan being, a, you know, a superior third baseman as well. And so so that that becomes the question uh, that they have to sort of figure on out. But it sounds like uh, um, Yuan's going to have to go on a um, a rehab assignment before he comes on back at, at some point. And so, so you're going to have a, a little more burger time in the, in the time being. Well, I mean, who can be mad at burger time? You know, I, I don't think it can be much, much better than that. I haven't had dinner yet tonight. I don't know about you. Continuing our conversation with Lamont Pope of the Tribune here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score here is on Twitter, at Lamont Pope. Uh, with Eloy, 
was there any thought to to giving him kind of like a, a rehab stint or anything? I mean, just you know, he he doesn't seem like his normal comfortable self at the plate, at least not as of yet. But I, I don't know. Should should they have perhaps you know allowed him to face some lesser competition for a minute before thrusting him back into the lineup? That, that's always the question, right? It, so I think I think in this situation it, it wasn't as an extended of, of a time off, and so um, you know the the hope is that he can quickly uh, shake off the rust and get back and put into it. Whereas Johan's going to be a little bit more of an extended break, and so you feel that you might need to get him. You know, and also the fact that Johan's going to be you know more of that two way player. So you're, you're going to see you know you want to see what he can do on the defensive side as well as as what he can do at the plate. And so I think. That that's, that's the thought process is whereas, whereas you're, you're mostly going to see um, Eloy at that designated hitter spot. I know he, he played in right field uh, during game two uh, of the double header yesterday, but, but I think, I think that was part of the thought process. It, you know, it was, it was a, it was that just short 10 day stint for Eloy and they felt that, you know, he can get back into the rhythm eventually a little faster, just get on up here and just sort of shake that rust off. Whereas Johan, you know, it is going to take, it is a little bit more of an extended break and they want to see what he can do on the defensive side as well. We will watch that very, very closely as the lineup hopefully gets back to health. And then maybe you got even more options. If Oscar Colas doesn't turn things around then who knows, you know, it's a thin outfield already anyway, but it'd be better to feel like they're not forced to just play Colas nonstop because other people are, are starting to get things done at a higher level, but a whole lot of questions. Answers for the moment seem limited. We'll continue to follow you, Lamont, as you get things figured out for all of us. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, Tampa and uh, Toronto, so it doesn't get any, any easier for the Sox as well. No, it does not. Appreciate you, man. That is Lamont Pope of the Tribune joining me on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. We'll stick with baseball here and come back and, and switch over to the north side had uh, the major league home run leader on the station earlier today on the the midday show we will hear from him after a quick time out here anthony heron on chicago sports radio 670 the score now with the mlb app you can get baseball your way pick your favorite team your favorite players and get customized highlights stories and breaking news right on your home feed Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.